so John's first letter, and it's on uh, chapter 3, and we're going to begin to read at verse 21. Always difficult with John to know where to start and finish the reading. You could read the whole book, it just runs on, doesn't it? 1 John 3, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Did you notice as we read 1 John here in chapter 4, the Trinitarian nature of the passage? We read of God in verse 1, the Spirit of God in verse 2, Jesus Christ in verse 2, God in verse 2, Jesus Christ and God there in verse 3, and God's there in verse 4 and 6 as well. We're looking at the first three verses this morning. It's always worthy of looking in the scripture and finding passages where the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are all mentioned in close proximity because often it's the interaction between the three that is something which enriches uh, the, the message that's coming from the passage. John has been teaching in the, in the middle part of his letter what has been called the tests of life. Righteousness in verses 4 to 10 of chapter 3, finishing with this, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, a test of whether you're a true believer. And immediately following that love, the end of that verse, nor is he who does not love his brother, and he goes on to speak of this in chapter 3, and he sort of merges on to get to the end of the, the chapter talking of keeping his commandments, abiding in him, and knowing he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And that leads us into this third test, the test of life. Are you living a righteous life by the power of God? Are you loving God and your brothers as, as a new creature in Christ? And now the test of, is it the real Christ that you are walking with and confessing? Do you really, this is the test, who is it who has fellowship? He begins the letter, chapter 1 and verse 3, 
verses 1 and 2, he talks about the Son and declaring him, verse 3, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And who is it who has fellowship with the Father and the Son? John says, we, we who have seen and heard Christ on earth declare him to you, the Apostles, Who is it who has fellowship with the Father and the Son? Who is in the church of Jesus Christ built on the apostles? Who is the we here of verse 6? We know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And as I say, there's a lot here and I want to look at the first three verses this morning and God willing the last three uh, this evening. So you need to come back for part two. And what are we looking here? Well, I want to... Consider in some detail the teaching of these three verses, they're so important. And then secondly, to come back and focus on that one phrase, which is the centre of it all, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So first we need to expound the passage. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If there's anything in this world that has true existence and then there are fakes and copies, then you need to be able to distinguish the two, don't you? None of us, I'm sure, have the money to go and buy old masters, but if you do want to buy a Rembrandt, you really need to have someone who knows what they're talking about to tell you whether it's real or not. Is this worth £10 million or is it worth £10? from the junction and you'll go into the shops won't you sometimes if you still use cash and if you go in particularly with a 50 pound note maybe a 20 some shops will put it through a little machine as you pay with it to make sure it's not a fake note that you're trying to pass it's important but how important it is in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are preaching and believing in and trusting the real one for our salvation In apostolic days, the apostles went forth and they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were of God. But there were many false prophets who had gone into the world. So John can say, test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. There was no golden age of the church. You read the New Testament letters written in that, that up at the apostolic times and they are full, like First John is, of saying people are teaching this, people are leading you astray, don't believe them. The errorists were round or right immediately. As has been said, where Christ builds a church, Satan builds a chapel. And they still are around. And they are still teaching a false Christ. <coughs> and to name just few out of many you can get knocked on the door with the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or whoever it might be Christadelphians they're up in town aren't they and they're not teaching the true Jesus Christ the saviour God's saviour I think it's a wise providence of God that he allowed all these errors in the early days of the church so that amongst other reasons so that we have the bible we have If it had been a golden age, what would the apostles have been writing about? Well, they'd have been writing about, this is how you live, because a lot of the the letters are about that. But if there'd been no error, 
we, faced with manifold errors, would not have anything in the Bible telling us what to watch out for and how to counter it. But right through the church age, there has been error, particularly, though not exclusively, but centrally, error about the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his work. And that's what we specifically are looking at here. The person of Christ. Who is the real Jesus? And John goes on in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. You know whether this is someone is speaking according to God's Spirit or a false prophet who is teaching from a false spirit. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now I say we're going to unpack that uh, later on. But this is the point, isn't it? Jesus, who was Jesus of Nazareth, the man who went around doing good, healing the sick, teaching, died on a cross, uh, let's say uh, rose from the dead. This Jesus, though not all would admit that, would they? Is he really, this Jesus of Nazareth, is he the Christ come in the flesh? And this is the teaching that John began with at the beginning of his letter here. And it, it, it's a teaching that is revealed by the Spirit of God. Which does not mean that everyone who preaches the truth about Christ is necessarily even themselves a Christian. Because God can use people who are not to preach the word. It does prove they are speaking Spirit-revealed truth if they are speaking about the real Christ. Whereas, every spirit, verse 3, that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is not of God. We'll unpack, as I say, in a moment what that means. But here you see it saying that Jesus is not the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, the historical figure, is not the Christ who came in the flesh. That is the central point. And a person who says that is not speaking from God. It doesn't mean that they are speaking, they are inspired by the devil. It means they're speaking, necessarily, it means they're speaking out of their unregenerate human spirit where they do not know Christ and therefore they teach falsehood about him. And John says it really matters. He says... Every spirit that, that uh, does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. What does he mean? Well, what does it mean by Antichrist? John wrote in Greek, and in Greek the way the word anti is used here is not so much necessarily the opposite of, as it would be if it were Latin, uh, it, it's more replacing, which sometimes means the opposite of, but not always. In other words, here is Jesus of Nazareth and he went about doing good and healing the sick. Uh, the false prophet does not have to come and say he, was, he, he did the works of Satan, like the Pharisees said. No, he can simply teach a lot, perhaps, about someone called Jesus... But he's not talking about the real Jesus, he's talking about a figment of his or someone else's imagination who he is pushing into the place of the real Jesus and say, this is the one I'm telling you about. So the Jehovah's Witness will come and he will talk about Jesus, uh, but he'll say, but he's not the son of God. 
You see what he's doing? He's telling you about someone, he's using the name, but he's taken out the truth and he's put in error. It's a replacement that is going on. And who do they teach? Well, if you take this word here, Jesus the Jesus Christ, there's two opposite errors here, aren't there? Some will teach Jesus, and they teach a merely human Jesus. Someone who came and taught some amazing things, perhaps. Jesus, who you ought to try to follow because of his moral teaching. But he has not come from God. He has not been incarnated. He is not the Christ, the saviour, whose death on the cross saves you. He is merely a great prophet. And I suppose people who teach this nowadays we would call liberals, liberal theologians and people who, who don't believe in the true Christ. And they've been here from the earliest ages, as John clearly is showing. People who will say a lot about Jesus, but what they don't say about him is that he is the son of God who has been made man and that he has died upon the cross and that that death pays for sins of sinners. And they will evade all that and they will probably, the same people will tell you he didn't really rise from the dead. They certainly won't declare him that he is the reigning king in glory and they will not really want to talk about his return or if they do, you've still got to remember it's not the real Christ, the real Jesus that they're talking about. But others go for the opposite error. They will teach a sort of cosmic Christ. They will teach that there is some force in the world you can call Christ. Just a spirit who, who might be in everyone uh, and perhaps, or perhaps is in lots of religious leaders from all over the world. Uh, and yes, in Jesus of Nazareth, but amongst many. In other words, the uniqueness of Christ is denied by them. And they, you end up with something which it really it, it, it leaves you to say there are many ways to God. And that's what these people would say. And so when people preach from this pulpit or another, or talk to you, knocking on your door, or they come, or you talk to them in the street, or you talk to them at work, or at college, or whatever it might be, and people talk about, or perhaps they say, oh, I go to church, and you end up talking about Jesus we must, must, must make sure. Are they talking about the real one? You say, how do you do that? Come on to that. But he, the one who is the Lord, the Jesus who alone can say, is this who they're speaking of? As opposed to the false, imaginary Jesuses who can't do anything because they don't exist. They are figments of someone's imagination. You remember Isaiah, uh, the Lord through Isaiah uh, uh, and elsewhere in, in the Psalms, uh, saying of the idols, you know, <laughs> it's no good worshipping an idol because the idol exists, but the God who it's meant to be representing doesn't exist. So the idol can't do anything because there's no God behind it that can make it do anything. Well, the wrong Lord Jesus can be an idol, an idol of the mind, an imaginary one, a name but no substance. 
I hope, I'm sure there's some here who have sadly fallen for different things, and gullibility is a problem, isn't it? And scamming is so big, the fraud is by far the biggest uh, in, uh, uh, criminal industry that's going on in, in this country, bigger than all other crime put together by far. And people will try and say, won't they? And one of the scams is this, isn't it? They ring you up and they say they're your bank. And they say, oh, there's been a problem with your account. I'll give you another account number. Please transfer your money from your account to this number. Uh, free advice here, don't do it. That's always a scam. If someone at the bank says they've taken the money out of your account, say, oh, I'm very sorry for you because you've lost that money. It's not mine. I've still got mine because I gave it to you. But you see, you can lose thousands, hundreds of thousands. It's tragic. But it's, it's because people are naive and foolish. Don't be like that. But this trusting the wrong Jesus is far, far more important, far, far more devastating, soul-destroying. Because when the last day comes and the real Lord Jesus Christ comes from heaven and stands upon the earth and is the one before whom all the nations are gathered and judges all... It will be no use saying to him, I trusted someone called Jesus, but it isn't you. You must make sure that your faith is in the real Lord Jesus Christ. How? Well, let's unpick the phrase to try to help. Here it is in verse 2. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Let's look at that first at the come in the flesh. Has come. Now, uh, let's pick on someone here who doesn't mind being picked on for illustration purposes. Uh, suppose we're all standing... Well, let's, let's pick on Billy. He's not here. So here we are, uh, and, but he's meant to be preaching. And, and we're standing around, and, and he hasn't turned up. Something has gone wrong, but we don't know what. And we're looking, and we're looking, and we're thinking, someone else is going to have to start the service off here. Uh, perhaps someone can ring him up, find where he is. And then he walks through the door, and someone will say, oh, Billy's come. Now, that's fine, but we do not mean by that, do we, that Billy didn't exist till he walked through the door. No, he was, he was very real, just as real outside as inside. When we say that, or, that Jesus Christ has come, it's saying he has come into the world. It's saying he was there before the world. It's saying he was there before he came into the world. He is, as we say, pre-existent. Eternally pre-existent. The second person of the eternal trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. John puts it here in chapter 1 and verse 1. He speaks of him who was from the beginning, the word of life and says in verse 2, this life was manifested, was revealed. The life was already there, but he was revealed. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, was already and eternally the Son of God. And then he was revealed to us as he came into the world. As he became flesh. As he was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. And he became man. He has come. It's not, you see, is it, as you'd have to say of every other human being, was born. No, has come into the world. And it's essential to believe this. 
It's essential for two reasons. There's possibly many more. One is this. Because God, the triune God, is immutable in his being. He does not change. He always has been Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And you will hear people who will try to deny that and say, well, God was one and he only became three in order to create. I don't know if anyone you heard that. The word faith teachers teach this. And if God was one and became three, God has changed. And if God was one and became three, God could change and become one again. Or 247 beings. Or whatever. And where then is faith in Jesus? You see, it is essential to know. God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit and always has been. And the second person of that Godhead, the Son of God, came into the world to save us. It's essential that we believe in the Trinity. It's essential for our assurance of salvation if we say no more. That we know that the Father sent the Son into the world to be our Redeemer and that he has sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts that we are born again of and indwelt by the Spirit and he is going to bring us to Christ. But the second reason why it's essential to know this is this. Only a God who is more than one being, more than one person in his being, rather, can love. If you believe God loves you, where does love start? Love starts in the relationship, the eternal relationship between Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. You think of a God, so-called, like Allah. A God who has no son, round the dome of the rock. There, God has no son. And he has no son. And in that sense, he has no spirit either. And, and, and how can he love? How can he even conceive of love? How can you conceive of love if there's only you there? Love has to have an object. How is it that God can love us and send his son to be our saviour because he knows what love is? Uh, you can imagine a God like Allah who is uh, eternally righteous and God is eternally righteous but a God who is loving, no, no how can God create creatures to, and love them if he does not know what love is in his own being so only such a God can save, save us in love and bring us into fellowship with himself, the God who has eternal loving perfect fellowship between Father and Son and Holy Spirit so Jesus comes. The word of life was manifested. Jesus came into the world. Secondly, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Well, we've alluded to this already, but it's so important. We will doubtless, at least once, probably many times, uh, depending on the run-up to and the time of Christmas, be singing, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, and that's fine. And we sing of Christ in that. And we sing word of the Father now in flesh appearing. Which is absolutely right. But you change one word. And you have word of the Father now as flesh appearing. And you're singing heresy. Because this is exactly what the people who John was writing against. These Gnostic teachers were teaching. 
they were teaching that Jesus only appeared to be a man. Only appeared to be flesh. Why were they teaching that? Because they had this false idea that spirit is good and flesh is bad. Uh, it sounds a bit like Animal Farm, doesn't it? But, uh, spirit, good, flesh, bad. And therefore, well, if he's God, he can't become flesh because flesh is bad. They had this wrong idea about physical flesh being bad. God created us and it was all very good and we had Adam and Eve had flesh. But they have this false idea. And so they would deny that Jesus was truly a man. Now you see, that's where you get to if you start thinking, well, if he's God, he can't be man as well. And Jesus truly came in the flesh, became truly one with us, took our very nature himself. Fully God, remaining fully God, becoming also fully man. The statement Jesus is God is true. The statement Jesus is man is equally true. The wonder of it. Why did he have to become man? He had to become man in order to save human beings. And we can unpack that a little why did he have to become man in order to save us? Why was there not some way that, that God could save us without Christ, become, without the Son of God becoming man? Well, someone had to fulfil the law. We can't fulfil the law. We can't fulfil God's law, which says do this and live. Someone has to do it on our behalf. Who has to do it on behalf? Someone who is one with us, someone who is truly human. Otherwise, he can't be our substitute. It doesn't make sense that God could not send an angel and say, fulfill the law for human beings. And I will count it as if you have done it on their behalf. No, one who is fully man has to come to live the life, the active, righteous life that we cannot live. One who could say, the Father is always with me because I always do what pleases him. We can't say that. But he did it for us so that we can be justified by his righteousness. He had to become man not only to live but to die. To die as our penal substitute upon the cross. God had to lay your sin and my sin if we're going to be forgiven upon a human being. And he laid them on the Lord Jesus Christ. His only begotten son but who is fully man. So that we can say our sin is laid on him. Because it has to be a man who pays the price. And he has to be a man in order that he can unite us spiritually to himself. In order to bring us to God. He has to be man in order to love us eternally. As God and man. The scripture uses terms like forerunner of Christ uh, and uh, of representative and of first fruits of God's salvation. A true human being who has gone into heaven and represents us there. And man with God is on the throne, as the hymn says. It is essential then that we know that Jesus, who is eternally the Son of God, 
that he has come in the flesh. And then there's that word Christ. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus, the human name, the name of Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary, the prophet, the healer, the dyer, the riser, is the Christ, the Messiah, a title. It's not a name, is it? It's Jesus the Christ. It's his office that's spoken of here. A threefold office which was sung of in the last hymn and in many others as well. Who is it? What does Messiah mean? It means the anointed one. Christ means the anointed one, anointed by God. Sent, you see, into the world with God's spirit upon him to fulfil the work that God sent him to do. A threefold office you find in the Old Testament. Three groups of people anointed, anointed with oil, human men, prophets, priests, particularly high priests, and kings. But Jesus comes as a prophet. He came into the world. Peter preached this on the day of Pentecost, uh, not rather after the day of Pentecost. In Acts 3, when, when the, the, the lame man had been healed in the temple, and he quotes uh, Acts 3, verse 22, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among his people. And he goes on, he says, This is Jesus of Nazareth. He came on earth to be the prophet and to tell everything that God wanted to tell us. And then he goes into heaven and he sends his Holy Spirit to the apostles, that Peter did say on the day of Pentecost, and, and the apostles were infallibly inspired by God in order that they knew the truth, more about that this evening, much more, and that they, those he chose, could write it down so that we still have it. The Holy Spirit sent from Christ, the ascended Christ, so that the, the apostles could teach and then we have a record of their writings and indeed their writings about Christ and we have a whole complete New Testament to add to the whole complete Old Testament because Jesus is the Christ, the prophet. Jesus is the Christ, the great high priest. We sung of this in, in our hymn. He offered his blood and died he offered himself he is the priest but who is the sacrifice he is the lamb of god he offered himself upon the cross priest and sacrifice both who else could offer the lamb of god the lamb of god could offer the lamb of god and having died for our sins upon the cross he has risen and ascended and intercedes by his presence in heaven he is our great high priest in heaven who lives forever in order to make intercession for us. And therefore can receive us to that place he has prepared for us. And he is as Christ the king. He has a kingdom. A mediatorial kingdom. A kingdom as mediator. God has anointed his son the Lord Jesus Christ to be the king who reigns in glory in order that those who are saved through him are kept safe and will be brought to him forever. 
You remember the Lord Jesus himself coming into the world. And Mark records this, Mark 1 and verse 15, the first words of Jesus recorded in the gospel there. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Enter it. How do I enter it? Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your sins. Trust in Christ. And that's the same gospel, isn't it, that goes down through the ages and we can say that today. Which brings us to say, doesn't it, have you trusted in this Lord Jesus? Are you found trusting in him this morning? Is your faith, can you go out saying, praise God, my faith is in Jesus the Christ who has come into the world and has accomplished a full salvation And by God's grace I am trusting in him, I am found forgiven, I am found a child of God, as John often says, of God. And I know that's me. Or are you stumbling around in the dark, wondering where to find the light? Stumbling around wondering where to find peace with God? Where to find answers? Where to find what seems to be here in the Bible, but I I haven't grasped it yet. What is it to grasp? You grasp on Christ. You grasp on Jesus, the Christ, who has come in the flesh. You lay hold on him. Lay hold on him and life. It will be your joy and crown eternally. Let me ask you then, this morning, this is not all theory, is it? This is not saying, oh, I've got to get my mind straight. You do need to get your mind straight. You need to understand the real Jesus and who he is and who he isn't. But it's not stopping at the mind. It's not just to get your mind straight. It's so that you can come to him and have life. Is this Jesus, who I have so inadequately proclaimed in such a short time this morning, is he the one whom you worship? Is he the one who you trust for your salvation? Is he the one you love? Is he the one who you obey as Lord and walk with day by day? Because many teach a Jesus who lets you go on in your sin and couldn't care less. Is he the one who you look for with joy and anticipation to return in glory and take his waiting people home? Make sure that you are not scammed. That you are not deceived. That you are, are not led astray by the spirits who are in the world. Many false prophets gone into the world. The spirit of the Antichrist. Make sure that you are not led astray. Make sure you are trusting in the real Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be found faultless and blameless and at peace with him. Through him. When he returns. Let's pray. Lord God we thank you. That you teach us things which we can grasp. How hard it is to explain it all. How hard it is to, to get to the depths. How much we, we find. We say yes that's true. I need to go and really think about that. But our, our frail minds will never come anywhere near the depth of the glory and the wonder of your Son who has come in the flesh to be our Saviour. But we thank you he has come. And we thank you you call us simply to turn from our sins 
and in simple faith to trust in him. And he does and he will save us for time and for eternity. May all here know that that is true. Work by your Holy Spirit in every heart to bring us to Christ and to reassure us if we are already in him and to send us on our way rejoicing that we have met with the living Saviour. Hear as we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.